I gotta say, I'm a little disappointed that we don't have pancakes in here as well. Those kids are having way too much fun in Sunday school, and somebody ought to tell them to stop. I'm sorry, I'm a little cranky if I haven't had my coffee in the morning, and I was running late, and I you know, took all, everything in me just to shave and get here on time. So, no, I'm joking with you. And of course, you already know that. You heard from Jennifer. This morning, our children's church are having incredible heaps of fun uh, right now. Today is a pajama day for the Sunday school. But linked into that, it was an opportunity to invite friends to Sunday school. And they're going to be having a whole bunch of fun. They're going to be having pancakes, doing all sorts of incredible activities, uh, and just enjoying time together. And of course, the pajama day just helps take away the tension of, well, what am I supposed to wear to church? You know, well, if you're coming in your pajamas, you're good. Uh, And it really just underlines that, you know, we're a come-as-you-are kind of church. Now, if next week you're all in your gowns, I totally understand that. I'm not going to lie, this is really comfortable. I, I, you know, I don't really want to take this off. But for your sake, I will take this off so that you're not too distracted. And I'll put this down over here. Yeah, I never know what I should put my coffee on, the piano or the organ. Because I know if I put it on the piano, somebody's going to get upset. And if I put it on the organ, somebody else is going to be upset. So my apologies if this upsets you. I know it would have done that there as well. This morning, I wanted to start by making a comment. But then I realized the comments would have you upset with me. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them, one day you will pass away. Wow, you guys got loud there. That was supposed to be like somber and kind of disheartening. You know, one day you will pass away. Uh, if, If it was your spouse that said that to you, and she seemed a little or he seemed a little excited in that comment, come and see me afterwards. We'd love to organize some counseling for you. One day, one day, you will pass away. And we know this. We all know this. We try and avoid it. Uh, we, We try and forget it. We try and ignore it. But the reality is, our life will end. We will die. And as you contemplate your own mortality, perhaps linked to that question is, what do you want to be remembered for? When you pass away, and family and friends gather together and they they talk about you as family and friends do, what is it that you want to be remembered for? Is it your quick wit, your way with words? I love the fact, I know it wasn't his dying words, but on his deathbed, Oscar Wilde, the author, uh, looked up and he said, you know, this wallpaper will be the death of me. One of us has to go. (laughs) Or, I discovered this past week, Dylan Thomas. Dylan Thomas's literal dying words to a doctor 
was, I've had 18 straight whiskeys. I think that's the record. And he then passed away after his 18 straight whiskeys. Maybe you want to be remembered for, for your beauty, your looks. And I'm reminded of the, the movie that Humphrey Bogart starred in, the 1949 movie Knock on Any Door. And there's a character, Pretty Boy Romano. And I know some of you might remember, because it's also attributed to James Dean. But Pretty Boy Romano says, live fast, die young, and have a good-looking corpse. The point is, you're still a corpse. Now, I realize talking about being remembered for tremendous beauty has left some of us behind already. Maybe you want to be remembered as having left something, something of value, something that inspires people, something that moves people, maybe art or music or writing or, or something like that. And can I just remind you, if you're a parent or even a grandparent, if you would take serious that charge of building into your children and grandchildren, you already are leaving something of incredible value behind. Maybe you want to be remembered as someone who was kind, compassionate. I'm reminded of the quotes and the comments around Mother Teresa. You know, it was Mother Teresa who said, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. And she was remembered as someone who loved dearly, deeply. Maybe you want to be remembered as someone who had tremendous wealth. You know, when I look at the pyramids of Egypt as the reminder of wealth and value, as the pharaohs were buried and entombed in those pyramids, along with all their wealth and along with wives and slaves and, and all sorts of things. As I was kind of doing some research on wealth, I was just stunned again to contemplate John D. Rockefeller, a name synonymous with wealth. You know, when, when Rockefeller died in 1937, his assets equaled one and a half percent of America's total output. If we wanted to reflect that equivalent today, it would be between 350 and 400 billion dollars. He alone has more or had more than the top four billionaires today. And I don't know about you, but billion always, I can't wrap my head around a billion. And I know some of you are going, well, is that nine zeros? Is that 12 zeros? How many zeros? Uh, you know, what's the difference between a million and a billion? Well, let me uh, translate it into time. A million seconds is 277 hours or 11 and a half days. It's one million. One billion seconds is 277, 777 hours, 277,777. That is 11,500 days. So 11 and a half days to 11,500 days. That's 31 years. That's the difference between a million and a billion. And here we are with someone with wealth of close to $400 billion. Can I just point out, no matter how much wealth you have, he or she who dies with the most toys still dies. And somebody else comes along and gets to expend what you built up. And my guess is they're going to spend it on stuff you don't want them to spend it on. So let me restart. You will 
pass away. You and I will die. How do you want to be remembered? Maybe a question that would spur some thought around your lunch today or dinner this evening. What are you doing that will have you remembered in that way? But here's the point. And this is maybe the even more important question where we're going with this morning. It's not about how will others remember you or how will others think about you or how will others summarize your life. How will God summarize your life? The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, Just as it is appointed for people to die and after this judgment. Now, we don't like that idea. We don't like that term. But I, I need to take you back to last week when Pastor Jennifer reminded us that only God can judge you and he will. But you don't need to be afraid of that. But the point is, you will stand before God. How will he summarize your life? How does he view your life? If you have your Bibles with you this morning, whether electronic or on paper, or it'll be up on the screen behind me, we're continuing through the book of Luke. And today as we go into Luke chapter 12, reading from verse 13 to 34. And as you turn there, as it comes up on the screen, just to give a little bit of of a context here, Jesus has challenged the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at the end of chapter 11. And you'll remember there were the six woes or the six defining characteristics of a hypocrite, of a Pharisee. And Jesus says, don't be like that. And as Jesus is saying this and as Jesus is speaking into this and teaching and challenging, so we begin chapter 12 with this portion on warning. Uh, Yes, warning and encouragement. And as I just referenced and as Jane said last week, yes, God will judge us. But we don't need to be anxious if we're in him and if we're obedient to his calling. We can walk into that with assurance. And so as Jesus is doing this, as Jesus is rebuking and challenging and teaching, we pick it up from verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build up bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. 
They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by warring can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow it's thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just as a a quick aside before we really dive into it, uh, where Jesus begins there, often a question jumps out at us. uh, Where this individual asks Jesus the question and says, hey Jesus, tell my brother to divide this inheritance between me. And Jesus starts by saying, who appointed me judge over you? Now there's actually a little bit of kind of irony there. You see, Jesus has just been rebuking the Pharisees and rebuking the scribes. And it's the Pharisees and the scribes' job to interpret and apply the rules and law and traditions of men. And one of the traditions and customs and practices related to inheritance. And within that culture of that day, when a father passed away, his inheritance would typically go to the oldest son. Now, yes, there might be portions separate for each other family member and and kind of get split up. But the biggest portion, if not all of it, would go to the oldest son. Again, it's the culture of the day, and it would then become the oldest son's responsibility to oversee the family. He would become the new father figure. And so this younger brother is obviously feeling a bit aggrieved. Maybe he doesn't like his older brother. Maybe he wants some of that wealth. We don't know why, but the point is, he wants Jesus to now play the part of a Pharisee or scribe. The same person that's been attacking the Pharisees and scribes. This guy kind of goes, hey, wait, Jesus, can you do that? And Jesus goes, no, no, who appointed me judge and arbiter? And again, you and I might kind of go, well, I thought you were supposed to be the judge. No, we've read ahead, Jesus. In fact, we're pretty confident there's going to be a point where you judge us. You know, Paul writes to the church in Corinth And the Apostle Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So which is it, Jesus? Well, yes, Jesus will. We will stand before him in judgment. But in the context over here, Jesus is going, this is not the time. Don't draw me in to your desire and your greed and your jealousy. I'm not here to judge just yet. And as Jesus is wont to do, he masterfully tells a story in response to what's going on. 
In fact, he tells two stories in quick succession. One to the general crowd and the next one to his disciples. But just to remind us that his disciples weren't only 12 people. And it was quite common for Jesus to speak to his disciples when there was a crowd gathered. So that same crowd would be listening in on the words of Jesus. And he tells these two stories that have got multiple themes throughout. If you read through those passages, you'll find themes of greed, the theme of jealousy, the the theme of arrogance, of self-reliance, of selfishness, of materialism, worry, consumerism, uh, consumption. And of course the positives like contentment and care and provision and serving. But in the midst of all of those themes, there are two that overarch over them. There are two themes that link all of those themes together. And if we can focus on those two themes and and figure out how to apply those in our lives, well then we become the disciples Jesus calls and the disciples that Jesus teaches. Those two themes, if you're taking notes, are trust and purpose. Trust and purpose. That first idea of trust is simply the question, who do I trust? Who do I trust? Who do you trust? Uh, We don't mean, and this passage doesn't mean in the sense of who do you trust with secrets or who do you trust to look out for you or who do you trust with uh, investment advice or, or parenting advice or relational advice. No, no, that's not the theme of trust here. This theme of trust is that overarching theme of who do I trust with my very life, with my eternal well-being, with my soul? Who do I trust? Now, I'm willing to bet that most of us, we might say something different, but most of us tend to trust ourselves for our own provision and care. At least until something happens in life that reminds us we're not in control. And when I started in the corporate world, and I was in a little IT company, and that company got bought out by one of the major corporations, and I found myself with a new boss. And this boss was just eager and passionate and was all about making money. Uh, And I remember there were two expressions this guy would say over and over. They were like his mantras. And one was, if it's to be it's up to me. And the other one was, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. And this was the way this guy did life. This was the way this guy managed us. He, he had this view that I cannot trust you. If, if I want it done right, I have to do it. If it's going to happen, if it's to be, it's up to me. Now we might scoff at that or we might think that's a little arrogant. Yet I think many of us do that in our spiritual journey as well. Many of us do that in our own lives. And so in this story, the first story, Jesus speaks of this rich man with an abundant crop and things are going well for him. Notice that Jesus doesn't knock the wealth. Jesus doesn't say being rich is the sin or or having this bumper crop is a sin. Not at all. Jesus is focusing on his response to that. What he does with that, how he views it. Some of you, God has blessed you with wealth. God has enabled you to do things that just sort of generate income and more, and it grows. That in and of itself is not a sin. It's how we respond to it. Because if you read just three verses, or really two and a half verses, 
from verse 17 to 19. And notice what that man does. He starts with, what shall I do? What shall I do? And then he goes on to refer to himself ten times before the end of verse 19. I have, I will, my surplus grain, me, 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 mine, mine, mine. I have done, I have achieved, I have amassed, and now I will sit back and take life easy. And I will eat and drink and be merry. You know, one thing I know about farmers particularly, they are hard-working people. Farmers are hard-working people. They're up typically before the sun. They're working all across their farm. doesn't matter what they're farming, whether it's uh, grain or plants or fruits or vegetables or, or animals or whatever the case might be. They work hard. And most farmers will tell you that, yes, there's a whole bunch of things they have to do but it's still not in their hands. Many will use language of God or faith or something else at work. And so they know that they're at the mercy. And this rich man forgets that. He looks at his crop and he goes, I've amassed, therefore I will take life easy. This is all about me. And my accomplishments will provide for the rest of my life. And I will enjoy them. Little does he know, he cannot predict when his life will end. God says, you fool! When we read through scripture, both the Greek and the Hebrew, for fool, it's more than just somebody who does foolish things. In fact, Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, or the fool says in their heart, that there is no God. A a, a fool is someone who lives life with an obliviousness to God. And goes, I I, I don't acknowledge, I don't view. And God says, you fool. You're completely unaware. And this night, I will demand your life from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And of course, the answer is, someone else is going to benefit from what you've done. And as I said, notice, work and wealth are not the problem here. It it was the misplaced idea that it was thanks to himself and that it was all for himself. His greed led him to trust in himself more than in God. Not even considering how he might be able to serve God with what he has. Some of you may have seen that expression, when there's more food on your table, don't build a bigger cupboard or, or build bigger walls, build a bigger table to share. And this farmer, he refuses to do that. He says, I've got more, so I must hoard it, and I must protect it, and I must cover it. And this is what he's guilty of. And then Jesus doesn't leave it there. Jesus doesn't end it with just that little story. Jesus goes to his disciples, and he says, let's bring this home. Let's drive it home in terms of trust and purpose. And the second story is a further call to make life not about the accumulation of more and more, not about the pursuit of material gain, not about things and stuff. In both stories, the point is, if you want to be content, if you want to know the daily provision and presence of God, then focus on being rich toward God. 
Focus on the kingdom of God and pursue that end. And that leads into the second theme. The theme of purpose. What is my purpose? I love how even here, the Bible addresses the higher order questions of life. And we all ask those questions. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Jesus knows that. Jesus answers that. And he answers it with the story. You know, the the shorter catechism, Westminster Catechism, begins with the question, what is the chief end of man? Or what is the chief end of humanity? The chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How? By serving His kingdom. Because you will serve a kingdom. You will serve a king. That king might be yourself. That kingdom might be your pursuits, your pleasures, your comfort, your protection. Or, and this is what Jesus invites us into, if you really want to know life, if you really want to know contentment, then seek the kingdom of God. Pursue his kingdom. You know, in the first parable, Jesus ends by saying, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. And that might lead to the question, or it should lead to the question, how are we rich toward God? You know, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46 answers that. You can write that down somewhere. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Go and meditate on it later on. As soon as you start reading it, you're going to go, oh yes, I know this one. It's the one where Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. And how at the end, the farmer will come. And the metaphor and the picture is God, the eternal judge, will separate the sheep from the goats. And God turns to the sheep and he says to the sheep, come and enjoy the inheritance prepared for you. Come and enjoy my presence. Come and enjoy my kingdom. Because when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you looked after me. And of course, the sheep kind of go, you know, God, we're pretty sure we would have known it was you. And we didn't see you. When, when did we do this for you? And uh, God responds by saying, whenever you did that to the least of these, the least ones of mine, you did that for me. You were rich towards me by serving those who could not serve themselves. You were rich towards me by caring for and helping those. And then God turns to the goats and he says, away from me. Because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. When I was sick, you didn't care for me. When I was in prison, you didn't come visit me. And of course, the goats go, well, God, we didn't, we, we didn't see you. And God says, whenever you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do for me. The goats are those who will not do anything for the least of these. The goats are those who it's all about their own kingdom. It's all about their own provision and possessions. It's all about them getting more and more. And Jesus calls his disciples. And he says, trust your heavenly father. Trust God to provide for you while you serve the kingdom. 
Our purpose is to glorify God and make Him known to the world around us. You know, we've spoken about our church purpose statement often. We here at White Rock Baptist Church seek to be a loving community of hope in Jesus Christ. Worshipping God and growing in faith to impact the world. That corporate purpose statement has a whole bunch of things in it, but I think it could probably be summed up into three general areas. Worship God, make disciples, and impact the world. Those are our purposes. That's what Jesus calls us into. To seek the kingdom is to glorify God. It's to worship God. And then it's to extend that kingdom by making disciples. And as we go out and make disciples, so we impact the world around us. So that the world goes, we don't get it. Why are you like this? Why are you serving? Why are you caring for the poor and outcast and the destitute? Why are you caring for those on the fringe? And we say, well, it's because that's what God did for us. That's what God demands of us in his kingdom. And Jesus is saying here, don't get distracted. Don't get hung up about all the material trappings of the world. You can't take them with you. Ultimately, they will rust or fade. If you really want to succeed and make it, then focus on serving the kingdom. Serve the kingdom of God wherever you find yourself. So that might be for some of you in school tomorrow. That might be from school all the way through to your senior's home. God in his wisdom has ordained that he has placed you where you will find yourself. And God says, serve the kingdom there. I know some of you are looking at me going, Brian, if, if we say, yes, God, we'll serve you, we may end up like you and being moved 17,000 kilometers away and we're just not down with that. God doesn't do that with everyone. But God does call you to be faithful and to serve where he plants you. Wherever God sends you tomorrow, serve the kingdom. Let me draw to a conclusion by quoting from C.T. Studd's poem, Only One Life. I know many of you already know that poem. But in the poem, Only One Life, C.T. Studd says, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. This is the theme that Jesus is trying to drive home to the followers and to his disciples. Yes, you will die. And all the things you've done will fade, will rust, will be passed on. If you want something to last eternally, then whatever you've done for me and my kingdom, that is what will last. That is how your life will be summarized. You know, I started with that very sobering comment, one day your life will end. Dare I say that your life will end sooner than you hope or think? How are you living in the light of having the judge of all the earth summarize your time here on earth? Can I invite you? Can I encourage you? Don't be afraid. Don't give up. Don't be afraid that, well, if I step out in faith and I serve the kingdom, I won't be provided for. It has been my experience over and over and over again when God calls me into something. Sure, I don't get everything I want, but I get everything I need. I, I, I joke sometimes about all the things I still want 
And if I won a lottery, what I would do with that? And you all know the first thing I'd buy is a truck. But I don't need a truck. I don't to serve the kingdom. What I have is perfectly adequate. And as soon as I get over that own internal feeling and that own little green-eyed monster that when I pull up next to a great big truck and I look at it and go, oh, God, why not? And then I go and fill up with gas and realize, oh, yes, that's why not. You won't get everything you want. You never will. We always compare with those that have more and we're always left wanting. Jesus says, if you will seek me and serve my kingdom, make me known to the world around you, be my disciple, I will take care. All those other things, they'll be added to you. You'll be taken care of. Don't be afraid. Don't let Satan come and rob you of that joy and of that eternal reward by focusing on the material. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. My friends, you have one life to live. You get to choose how you will live it. Will you trust in yourself and pursue your own desires? Or will you trust in Christ and seek his kingdom? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, this morning as we contemplate your scriptures, we are again in awe and amazed at how you speak to us. And Jesus, you addressed the crowd some 2,000 years ago and turned to your disciples and spoke to them and taught them. But yet your words echo down through the centuries and they challenge us this morning. Father God, I confess it is so easy to focus on self. It is so easy to trust self. It is so easy to become distracted by the trappings of life and the the material possessions and the things and the stuff. We become consumed by them, thinking that somehow they will provide for us and they will care for us and look after us and, and keep us safe. But God, you remind us, apart from you, nothing does. And so, God, this morning again, I ask, would your Holy Spirit come and speak into each one of our hearts? May we hear the invitation of Christ to learn to trust you, Jesus, and to learn to seek your kingdom and to make you known to the world around us. And as we do that, we do that with the assurance that one day we will stand before you, before eternity, longing to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your master's rest. Jesus, today, help us to trust and to seek your kingdom. For we would ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with us as we sing our closing hymn this morning?